0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt
1: Betty. This week, what happens when you defund the police?
2: All right, let's start the show. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. So it's been just about a year since George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis last May. And just about a year of protests all across the nation and the world calling for police justice. reform. No, no justice! No peace! And over that year, calls for reform have turned into calls to defund the police.
1: Money for the elders! for the elders!
2: You know, so much of this conversation, of this movement, is felt national. But the kind of reform activists are asking for, a lot of it can't come from the federal government. And anyway, the US Congress seems to be a bit gridlocked on that front at the moment. So today, we're gonna see how the conversation around defunding the police is playing out locally. We're going to Texas, Austin, Texas. In Austin last year, there were a lot of actual calls to defund the police.
3: Uh, I mean, just in the course of like four days, my office, which is just one of the 10 city council offices, we got 20,000 calls and emails from different Austinites asking for us to really reimagine the way that our city budget is written.
2: That is Greg Casar. He is a member of Austin's city council. And it turns out Austin, perhaps more than any city in the country over the last year, has gone the furthest in defunding its police department. Last summer, Greg created a plan to reduce Austin's police budget significantly, and it passed unanimously.
3: Things that were never possible before became what community members were demanding, baseline, period, from their council members.
2: Councilman Casada is gonna tell us what's working, what's not working yet, and whether Austin can be an example to the rest of the country on how you defund a police department. You know, by some reports, the city of Austin's police reforms are some of the biggest police reforms and most sweeping in a major city in the last few years. Can you, big picture, break down some of the key reforms and changes, maybe the biggest or a few to highlight in those reforms?
3: Yeah, at the heart of all of this is that cities across America, not just Austin, but Austin definitely, the biggest part of our discretionary budget's is usually policing and jails, which means that our main response to problems is essentially policing or jails. So what we did was we said, let's invest some of that money into mental health first responders. So now that when you call 911 in Austin today, you hear, do you need fire, EMS, police, or mental health so that you can actually get a mental health responder to a call? 10% of our 911 calls are mental health calls. Or also, you know, we can take some of that money and invest it in family violence shelters to prevent uh, domestic violence. We took some of that money uh, and put it towards housing folks that are homeless. We need to think of public safety as something beyond how many folks of color can we arrest? How many working class people can we arrest? How many police do we hire?
2: How much money are we talking about here? How much money was shifted from Austin PD to other stuff?
3: So... uh, it really the plan was about a hundred million dollar reduction to the police budget, and that's out of how much of a total budget? Just over four hundred million, and so that so a quarter. Oh yeah, that's it was, a it lot. Was, it's was significant. Now, some of it was a reduction that we could reinvest. That was somewhere in the twenty to thirty million range. The rest of it was actually just taking things that are currently in the police budget and making it an independent function because it's better suited to not actually be run by the police. So we've pulled things like that forensics lab made an independent, made our 911 call center independent of the police department so they can send the right responder to the right call and not kind of have a bias towards policing. So the biggest part of the cut was really making things separate from everything being police. How do you measure success with these reforms?
2: Is the measure of success fewer arrests, fewer deaths by police, is the measure of success other things, like what are the metrics?
3: I I think each program is going to have to be really held to account. A recent audit showed that Austin ranked at the very top of police shootings per capita of the big cities when you have a police officer and a mental health call. we got to come down that list. Um, And so I think with each of these reinvestments, we've got to be able to show we did better. And if it didn't work, then we've got to reinvest the money in something else.
2: You know, policing is this weird issue because for years now, We've talked about it nationally and collectively, but it's an issue in which real change is made locally. You know, you're doing change to Austin policing for citizens of Austin, but you also must know that other cities and other mayors and other city councils are watching how big reforms play out in a place like Austin to see what they might do. How much do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I get phone calls every week from council members in other cities. And the question always comes back to, how's it going? Because folks are trying to gauge that. And I always wanna be upfront with people that it's politically hard, um, but that it's gonna take that year or two of trying it to be able to show the benefits.
2: When those other cities call you and talk about whether or not these Austin Police Department reforms are working and how they might do it, What advice do you give them? Perhaps advice that you wish you had gotten.
3: One of the pieces of advice is to really think about uh, the void that gets created, right? And I've advised other cities to say, make sure you have what you're putting in its place available as quickly as you can. Because here in Austin, sometimes there has been that gap when we said we're going to pull back some on how many police we have, but then we're going to bring these other programs to bear some of those other programs to bear have sometimes taken a little too long. You know, this gun violence intervention Mm -hmm. program we really need as we see increases in gun violence. You know, we haven't gotten that in place here in Austin yet. Uh, I wish we'd gotten it in place several months ago. Um, and so part of what I've, I've advised is, you know, we need to make bold transformational change and that change isn't just pulling something back, but putting better things and new things in its place and to have those things as ready as you can have them. Um, and and that's just a lesson we've learned.
2: Thanks again to Austin City Councilmember Greg Casada. So the city of Austin has cut more than $100 million from its police budget. But these cuts, some of them aren't really cuts in the purest sense. Like those 911 services and the forensic lab the council member just talked about. They were just moved somewhere else in the city's org chart.
4: And according to the police chief, it's functioning exactly as it was before. Same amount of money. It's just now there's like a new boss's boss's boss. Is
2: Is it the same staff?
4: Same staff.
2: Just um, a new boss boss.
4: Just a new boss boss.
2: That is Audrey McGlinchey. She reports on City Hall at NPR member station KUT in Austin. And she has a slightly different view of how police funding has changed in that city. So, what's the actual real cut, maybe, if you had to guesstimate?
4: Yeah, I would say we cut twenty million dollars and reallocate and spent it on other things, non-police things.
2: And so, how does twenty million dollars factor as a percentage of like the overall police budget?
4: So, the police budget uh, recently was getting up to a little over four hundred million a year. Mm. So, it's about five percent.
2: Okay, five percent. So, when, so if the headline is then. Austin defunded the police by five percent. That's a whole different story, huh?
4: Yeah, yeah. And that's what our headline said. And it was interesting because I there were different headlines even locally. And I, I think uh, I think it was really tricky for people to understand what was happening. Um yeah. because I think you really have to put these numbers into context to really get what's going on. Um so yeah, so five percent is what they cut and and spent on other things, on non police things. Yeah. So
2: then I'm wondering if anybody is actually satisfied, like really satisfied with these reforms and this defunding Mm. on either side of the issue. Because it feels like if you tell the activist only 5% was cut, they're like, that's not enough. And if you tell the other side that 5% was cut, they'd say, how dare you? Is anyone really happy with this?
4: Not that I've talked to, and maybe that's a failure of my reporting. (laughs) Huh. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, tell me tell me more. Yeah. So I think you're right in that, folks. Um, you know, we have uh, various organizations here that fight for racial justice who have been asking for cuts like this for years. Um, and a lot of those folks, you know, some of them said, OK, this is a great first step. Great, awesome, next year, let's cut more. A lot of folks said, this is nowhere near what we wanted to see. This is not what we were asking for. We were asking for way much more than this cut from the police department. And then we had folks on the other side who, and this, you know, is the police union, the governor of Texas, folks here in Austin as well, who really felt like this was not only, I think, an insult to folks who work as police officers, but also um, folks were really concerned about what this would mean for public safety what kind of effect this would have, you know, okay, if I call 911, is someone going to show up, you know, within a certain period of time? Honestly, I haven't really talked to anyone who felt, feels like, you know, the 20 million was like the right spot to hit. Like that was kind of the mm. number that they wanted to see. Yeah. It's really interesting. So yeah. folks on both sides were, were not happy with this, with this move. Huh.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What from what you can see has been the most difficult part of these reforms for the city so far?
4: I think, um, I think misinformation, um, absolutely. Really? Yeah, I think. Okay, explain. Well, just at its core, I think understanding how much was actually cut and what that means. You know, the day, I believe it was that evening after the council uh, took this vote on the budget that the mayor was on Facebook Live basically saying, wait, hold up, hold up. We didn't cut 150 million.
3: No function was
5: ended. No function was reduced. The city council voted to not take a penny away from any of these functions.
4: But then we have um, Governor Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has um, really talked about how how Austin will become a crime-ridden city, how this will have a huge effect on public safety.
0: If we have lawlessness in our cities caused by local decision-making policies that reduce law enforcement officers is gonna cause chaos
4: um, it's important to note that Austin is one of the uh, safer large cities in Texas. And, sort of, with the governor's backing, there are a couple bills right now up in the state legislature, which basically they're looking at a couple bills that would punish any cities in Texas that cut police funding. And so, for example, there's one bill that would not allow a city to collect any new property tax revenue if they huh. cut police funding. Yeah. Um, wow. I think what has frustrated local politicians who, you know, the council who voted for this unanimously is that they feel like what their intention was has been misrepresented and the potential effects of their choices have been misrepresented. And now Austin may, and any other city in Texas may not be able to make a decision like this again if one of these bills passes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Last question for you. What should the big takeaway about policing and reform and defunding from Austin be for everybody else?
4: Mm. Well, here's a question I had. So I, after a couple months after this vote was taken, there was a lot of Um, misinformation out there about the effects of cutting money for police on um, crime statistics. And so I interviewed a bunch of, you know, criminal justice experts, um, professors, people who really look at these kinds of statistics, and there's really no provable relationship between the amount of money we spend on policing and crime statistics. But it was interesting in looking at those numbers, I was really struck by how quickly the police budget here in Austin, and and I believe, you know, across, you can see this in other cities as well, how quickly it rose. So here in Austin, at least over the span of a decade, our police budget almost doubled, which is wild. I don't think you'll find that for any other city department. Um, yeah, and it was interesting. Yeah. It was interesting to note that in the middle of a public health crisis in the middle of a pandemic because there had been a long conversation about, wait, our, our, our budget for public health has not grown like that and maybe we should be asking why. And mm. so I think that's been the big takeaway, um, I think for city leaders, yeah, is what are our priorities? And frankly, when we put money behind something, we're saying it's a priority, so.
2: Exactly. Yeah,
4: Yeah. do we want to Money means
2: that? things. It that's means... A, that's the takeaway. Money yeah. matters. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. Whether you want it to or not, it really does.
2: <laughs> Thanks again to Audrey McGlinchey. She reports on City Hall at NPR member station KUT in Austin. Coming up, I chat with comedian Michelle Buteau. We talk about the show she hosts on Netflix, The Circle. You may have heard of it. Also, we discuss traveling with small twins and playing more than just a sassy best friend.
5: Big news
0: stories
2: don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them in your pocket. Download the
1: NPR app today.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience. Like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience, and ultimately, the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework.
4: I'm Yoe Shaw.
1: I'm Kia Myakonatis.
4: We're the hosts of the NPR podcast, Invisibilia.
1: You can think of Invisibilia kind of like a sonic blacklight.
4: When you switch us on... You will hear surprising and intimate stories, stories that
1: help you notice things in your world that maybe you didn't see before. Listen to
4: the Invisibilia podcast from NPR.
2: How are you today? I'm good, you know. So I'm when so I began good. my chat with my next guest,
4: um, I'm gonna go
1: with good. How are you?
2: I was feeling a little bit jet lagged from a work event, traveling and packing and going through airports. It is a lot more exhausting than I remembered. And my guest, she agreed.
1: It, now I understand people that never leave the house and why it takes them so long to leave.
2: <laughs> that like, is comedian I Michelle Buteau. It.
1: now it's like, and plus like leaving with kids because I flew to England in October to film mm-hmm. The Circle and I brought my twins with me and I was like, how the f*** do I, sorry, how do I... No, say it, it's fine. <laughs> how the do I pack up twins And go to another country. Twins
2: in the suitcase, Michelle. Don't be quiet. Look, this isn't United
1: (laughs) Air. You know what I mean?
2: Besides being a parent to twins, Michelle also hosts the Netflix reality competition show The Circle, the pandemic hit that just wrapped up its second season.
1: Welcome to The Circle, the real life game that asks, how far would you go to be popular on social media if there were $100,000 at stake?
2: Also, Michelle had a recent comedy special called Utopia.
1: I realized way too late in life that I am an achievable Beyonce for government workers.
2: And you might also recognize Michelle as Ali Wong's best friend in the movie Always Be My Maybe.
1: Pregnant as hell. And I am so mad at Kate Middleton. I was driving to work this morning thinking about her taking those pictures on the hospital steps like, what, three hours after she had a baby? And she had that royal diaper on. You know she had that
2: diaper on. I don't want you to talk about that stuff in front of the customers. Go, go, go. You asked me a question. though. What was Going to talk about Michelle's career and what she's working on and how she fits into Hollywood. But before we get there, I had to go back and get a few other things off my chest about traveling. Parents of small children, this one goes out to you. Yes. Also, they should just give all the first class seats to parents with small kids. Let y'all have that section. Let it be loud and like a daycare up there. Give y'all the free wine. I will happily sit in the back. Because I I know that y'all are going through it.
1: You are an angel and I have been touched because that is... (laughs) If you would have told me that five years ago, I'd be like, no, they shouldn't have had kids. But you know what? I'm with you. I stand. I sit. Yes. I kneel. Yes. I, I down with And it's dog. like,
2: I just had this realization a few years ago. It was like, anyone who chooses to parent a child, they are literally guaranteeing the survival of our species. Mm. So we should be extra nice to them. They're like the reason we get to keep having humans.
1: Oh, my goodness. I mean, what in the hallmark? Are you serving? <laughs> what in the Christmas Lifetime movie, we've turned it over to Hulu, are you giving me? This is so you sweet. You caught on a good day. i caught tell- me on a good day. I'm telling you, I need to talk to you jet lag more often because you are. <laughs> I'm ready to put a $5 bill in the basket. Where's the tambourine? Wow. This is nice. Wow. Let me send
2: you my cash app. My
5: goodness. <laughs> anyway.
2: We are here to talk about a show that you've already mentioned, The Circle. Now, first, before I have you describe what this show is to our listeners, I want to say you mentioned that you traveled to London with your twins Mm -hmm. to film The Circle. Yeah. And one of the things that gave me the most pause about season one, which I enjoyed so much, y'all shot it in London, but all the B-roll (laughs) <laughs> Look like Chicago.
1: You know what? I, okay, so so many things about this <laughs> statement. First of all, I said England. I ain't saying London. What I love oh, is that. Sorry, no, sorry. no, no. Okay. I'm going to tell you, though, no, because when you think of England, you should think That's of London. That's all I think of. That's all anyone <laughs> yeah. thinks of, and they're right. We <laughs> shot, <laughs> no shade, to Manchester United, big up, but we shot at Manchester, which is you know, I can't even say London Light. It's its own thing. But, you know, it's a smaller town. And, um, yeah, this is the thing about the production company and their creative mind. If This is already a very popular show in the UK. And they are very smart because they're just showing you very happy, basic, Americana um, yes. real estate. So you don't ever yes. know where we are. You just know that... You know, you're hanging out with Americans. I
2: literally was like, oh, they shot The Circle in Chicago. So cool. Where was season two shot?
1: (laughs) Um, I know. It's movie magic.
2: So season two, are y'all in London for that one, too? Not like, Lord God, Manchester. See, I know.
1: (laughs) I I know. Trust me. Trust me. Yes, we are. And um, yeah, we flew to Manchester um, safely. It was wild because there was no vaccine to be had back then, so we were just wearing our plus size hazmat suits and getting tested regularly, and <laughs> wow. like a straight up quarantine, like a like a vintage quarantine at this point, where <laughs> you
2: old school two y- weeks in the hotel room.
1: Yes, yes, honey, we had food delivered to our door. It felt like I was Tom Hanks and Castaway. But I was gaining weight. I was like,
2: okay. Okay. So for folks listening who haven't watched The Circle yet, how would you describe this show to them?
1: Oh, my goodness. If I describe the show, they're not going to watch it. It's like you have to watch it. (laughs) So The Circle is an amazing reality competition show where people are quarantined in these apartments in a building and they are vying for a $100,000 and in order to win they have to become the most popular um, in the ratings and you, they can either play themselves or catfish. But they can't see or hear each other. The only way they get to know each other is through a voice activated platform called The Circle. And all those things sound crazy I know but Themselves, if you watch the show the you'll understand and another very important thing is people go in with strategy right they have this game plan but much like mm-hmm. life you could have a plan mm-hmm. but look once you out hey, there listen. you never know
2: who knows what's gonna happen exactly yeah exactly, yes. exactly. No. I wonder okay what kind of character would you be on the circle? Would you be you? Would you take on a different persona? Would you be strategic? Would you keep it real? I wonder.
1: Uh, You know what? I'm a basic bitch, to be honest. (laughs) Like, I spent so much time trying to figure out how to um, communicate (laughs) effectively. So I'd have no choice but to be me. And, like, look, I feel like I'm polarizing as... I would, I'm like cilantro, like either you love it or you taste soap. So I would either win the whole damn thing or I'd be like the first one blocked. I'd have to pack my <laughs> knives and go.
2: I love Who it. Who would you be? You know, would, what would you do? This is what I wonder. I try to think of like, what type of person in the culture is universally revered, loved, and respected? Mm. Grandmothers. Mm. Could I pretend to be like a nice granny
1: who's just
2: fun and wants to be hip with the kids? I feel like that kind of contestant has to win a show like The Circle, right?
1: (gasps) I feel like you're giving me Dionne Warwick vibes right now on Twitter. Right. How could we not?
2: Right, because we all love Dionne Warwick. I'm saying, grandma's on the internet, a beautiful thing all the time. That would be how I present myself on a show like The Circle.
1: Somebody
2: got a comedy producing job <laughs> at the Circle. Let me in, y'all. Let me, I'm ready for that Netflix money. Come on. <laughs> you know, you don't just do the Circle on Netflix. Um, I've seen you in a few Netflix movies. You've got your Netflix comedy special that came out, uh, I believe, last year. Um, you are Miss Netflix. I see you a lot, and I love it. <laughs> and you actually told my friend and colleague, Lulu Garcia Navarro, that you didn't really see a place for yourself in comedy before streaming platforms what do you mean by that
1: i mean you know i was auditioning a lot and people loved me but i was always the sidekick or the friend or like
0: Mm -hmm. the
1: friend you like take to lunch the next day and tell them about your sexcapade the day before And Uh with streaming, not just Netflix, but Hulu, Amazon Prime, BET Plus, honey, you have a license to do something a bit more body positive, sex positive, conscious. And, and, you know, it isn't as cookie cutter. And so I feel like I definitely felt more worthy and in my own skin by booking these jobs where I can be topless and, and do something else. Besides, yeah. you know, he said, "What girl?" Like at a brunch. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so that was that was life changing yeah. for
2: me. You know, hearing you talk about that sometimes trope of like the sassy sidekick. Is there a place in time in which you say never doing that again, or is it still like a part of your repertoire, perhaps?
1: I don't know. Um, I I say never say never. Because you know, yeah. I'm not that absolute. I am not Chrissy Teigen. I'm not gonna be like I quit Twitter and then come back, <laughs> and, then she because, came back. and then you got, yeah. like twice. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna be like Elton John and be like I'm retiring, but here's this tour. Yeah, I'm not like that. I'm 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 more like a Whoopi Goldberg, Joan Rivers type of bitch where I'm just like slow steady rinse the race and so I am here forever and all of time you know I am the Puerto Rican Betty White I want to be in adult diapers on SNL being shuffled around the set being like I still got jokes
2: coming up Michelle Buteau and I play my favorite game who said that
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama, Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the American Cancer Society. By the end of this message, two people will be told they have cancer. Yes, every 15 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. But by the end of this message, you could do something about it with your donation. A gift of any amount to the American Cancer Society can help those facing cancer get free rides to care or a free place to stay closer to treatment. Donate today at Cancer.org.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Squarespace. Measure your end-to-end online performance with powerful website and seller analytics. Get insights on top traffic sources, understand how your reach is growing, and more. Use code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price visit slash npr and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax-certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle, find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I am joined this week by a guest whose work i really enjoy who you have seen all over the place tell folks who you are
1: oh my goodness ow it's michelle Buteau, how y'all doing hope you're watching the circle if you're not watching the circle i hope you're reading my book or at least listening to the audiobook survival of the thickest plus-size essays in a small-minded world and look if you are a woke white person and you want to talk to your black friends about the black content that you just saw Go on over to BET Plus, that's right, and just sign up for a little $9.99 and support some black creators and watch First Wise Club Season 1 because Season 2 is coming out soon, Z's, and you can watch all the reruns of Martin. And who don't love some Tyler Perry? I can go on and on and on,
2: but I will not. This is good. <laughs> this is good. I like that elevator pitch for Michelle. All right, it's time for a game. This game is called Who Said That?
1: Ooh, saying hey. that. It's really
2: simple. I share three quotes from the week of news, and you got to tell me either who said it or what kind of story we're talking about. Okay. I'll give you a bunch of hints. Just yell out the answer when you have it, and because it's just you playing this week, no matter what, you're going to win. Here we go. First quote. Okay. Wow. Just so detailed. You've got the rounds of my breasts. Who said that?
1: Um... uh... Angela from 90
2: Day (laughs) Fiancé. I wish. I wish. (laughs) This is a daytime TV star who just had her wax figure revealed at Madame Tussauds this week.
1: Oh, Miss Wendy Williams, how you doing? Yes,
2: yes. Miss Wendy Williams, uh, daytime talk show gossip queen. She met her own wax figure on her show this Monday and according to a representative on the show, it's taken over 20 artists, over 800 hours, and the wax figure traveled over 3,000 miles across the Atlantic on a cargo ship. And when Wendy Williams saw her wax figure, she said, Wow, just so detailed. You've got the rounds of my breasts.
1: Oh, my goodness. We stand.
2: We stand.
1: Oh my goodness. This is the reason why Cyndi Lauper wrote that song, I Drove All Night. That is amazing. Can you imagine the rounds, the rounds of Wendy's breasts employed people for hours upon end?
2: <laughs> she just gives and in gives this and company? gives.
1: I mean, <laughs> what can't she do now? What can't right. she
2: do? You got that point. Here is the next quote. For this quote, you are going to fill in the blank. Here's oh, the quote. Okay. We continue to believe that the blank is committed to meaningful reform however change of this magnitude takes time and work and we feel strongly that the blank needs time to do it right this is some scuttlebutt about an award show that is maybe going away Oh,
1: my goodness. I really wanted to say the patriarchy, but it's the Golden Globes. And I'm just like, isn't that the same? What's the difference? Same diff.
2: Yes, yes, yes. So that statement uh, was issued by NBC this week. And the blank uh, is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association or the HFPA. That yes. That is a group that puts on the Golden yes. Globe Awards. And the HFPA has been in trouble lately because apparently they don't have any black members. And there's been a lot of reporting around institutional and structural problems. Basically, the idea that the HFPA and the Golden Globes are kind of pay for play. (laughs) And the studios and networks that spend the most to wine and dine, these foreign press members see their movies uh, and their shows win. I think it was most glaring this past cycle when the HFPA gave zero nominations to Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You and gave two nominations to one of the worst reviewed shows ever, Emily in Paris.
1: Oh my God. You know what? I I just need to do a child's pose and a downward dog for that one. I mean, yeah. The work will not stop in my lifetime. It's like... So many steps. It's recognizing that it's there and it's real. And it's not just your PTSD or your insecurity or just like, why not me? Mm-hmm. It's the step of convincing other people that it's real. That sh- is exhausting. And then it's like, what are we going to do about it? Like, everyone needs their Brad Pitt in 12 Years a Slave, an ally, and, you know, to yeah. be like, help me get it. You're in. Help me get in yes. and figure out how to do it.
2: Exactly, exactly. So on top of NBC saying they are not going to air the Golden Globes next year, um, other big players like Netflix, Amazon, and Warner Media have all agreed to cut ties with the HFPA. And this one just made me giggle. Tom Cruise I know. sent back his three Golden Globes in protest.
1: <laughs> Which is like the That'll richest them, thing. I know it's like the <laughs> richest thing to do. You know what I mean? It's just like uh, it's like the king giving away one of his islands, and it's just like, yeah. "Thank you so yeah. much." That's so nice. I'm but like, like now, look, okay. yeah. Tom, yeah.
2: Tom, He's doing something. Tom,
1: Tom is Tom, but you know he adopted all them kids and one of those kids is half black. So, you know, he at least knows about texture.
2: He gets it. Yeah. So That's
1: nice. Hey, Connor, can't wait to see you DJ in Australia one day.
2: <laughs> I'm like now imagining Tom Cruise juggling his three golden globes while jumping on Oprah's couch. That's my mental image right now.
1: I mean, that's a lot going on. Definitely don't have spicy food tonight. You know what I mean? i are going to have
2: dreams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last quote. This is a good one, and I can't wait to hear you talk about it. Who is this quote about? It's natural between them, and the chemistry is unreal. They picked up where they last left off and are enjoying each other's company right now. <laughs> you know. You know. Look. Look,
1: look are we talking about <laughs> Benjamin Franklin? Benjamin Button? Ben Harper? Ben <laughs> who's the who's the Ben?
2: Who's the Ben? You know. you know who it is. Tell our folks who it is.
1: Yes, honey, it is the infamous yes. couple Benefer. How do
2: you feel? I it, it it has rocked my world, Michelle, in ways that I didn't expect. <laughs> This news set Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are back together has taken Sam Sanders back to like 2003. Yeah. I felt the same feelings that I felt 17 years ago about these people who do not matter in my daily life. Explain this to me. Why do we care so much?
1: Oh, Lord. You know, I think number one, nostalgia, really. Yeah. I think, too, because they're so wildly and weirdly beloved. Yeah, and have really just made their own path in such different ways. That you're and they're just beloved like, in
2: different ways. Like yes. We love J-Lo because she is this queen who rules the world. And we kind of, in this way that we feel sorry and yet love Ben Affleck because he's like the saddest divorced dad.
1: Yes, and also a part of our childhood. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. just like the white boy that we're all friends with a, a dude like Ben Affleck.
2: <laughs> you yeah. know, the white yeah. the
1: white boy that's tall, that can reach the stuff off the shelf and pay for a round.
2: Oh, and it's like, I got to like, tip my hat to Ben Affleck's old school swag. Apparently, he got back into JLo's los good graces by sending her emails. Like old school emails. He didn't hop in the DMs. Uh, he didn't like, text. Like he big, sent
1: emails. Yeah, Big and Carrie at the end of um. Yes. the first yes. movie yeah
2: he's old school. They were seen together in Montana where they vacationed just the two of them for about a week. Whatever Ben Affleck is putting down j Lo's picking it up, and I will say. I bless that union, JLo and Ben giving <laughs> good nostalgic vibes. Also, Ben Affleck, at some point, release the emails. We want to know what you uh, did to get JLo back, because that might be some skills that I can apply in my personal life. Look, OK, Ben, share look, the emails. Look, <laughs> On that note, Michelle, congratulations. You won the game.
1: Oh, come on.
2: Of course. Um, it was such a joy to talk to you. I enjoy seeing you on all the streaming platforms. Um, Michelle come back and we'll do it again soon
1: I can't wait
2: thanks again to comedian Michelle Buteau you can catch The Circle and her comedy special Butopia on Netflix
1: now it's time to end the show as we always do every week listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week we encourage folks to brag and they do let's hear a few of those submissions Hey Sam, this is Kyra from New Orleans. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that I graduated from vet school and I am officially Dr. Kelly.
4: Hi Sam, the best part of my week was watching my 17 year old daughter get her black belt in Taekwondo. I am so proud of her and I couldn't be more happy. Hey Sam, this is Ambika Acharya, and the best part of my week was getting to eat an eight-course meal of dishes inspired by Sola El-Whaley that my roommate and friend Sharon prepared for my birthday. Sharon, you're the best.
5: My best thing this week was the look on my parents' face
4: when my brothers and I managed to surprise them for their 50th wedding anniversary. We haven't all been together in the same place in about
2: three years, so... Being able to walk into the house was spectacular.
4: Hey Sam, my name is Hannah, and the best part of my week
3: was passing my driving knowledge exam. I don't turn 16 for another few months, but I am just one step closer to getting my driver's license and living my Olivia Rodrigo fantasy of driving through the suburbs and crying because you weren't around.
1: <laughs> hey Sam, it's Grace and Mila. Um, we're two high school seniors from Seattle, Washington, and we're finishing up our last year. Um, it's been super stressful, but we finally figured out our college plans to celebrate one we on this backpacking trip to the coast,
4: and we finally got out of our heads and have just gotten excited for the future. So we just wanted to thank you. This show um, is like the highlight of our weeks, and we look forward to it every single week. Yeah, have a good week, everyone. Yeah.
2: Thanks to all those listeners you heard there. Dr. Kelly, congrats. Christine, Ambika, Aaron, Hannah, and Grace and Mila. You know, hearing one of our listeners mention Olivia Rodrigo, the teen singing sensation, kind of helped me realize that the best part of my week this week is one of her new songs. It's called Deja Vu. Deja Vu. It's stuck in my head. Didn't expect that, but I like it a lot. So uh, thanks, Olivia. All right, listeners, don't forget, you can share the best part of your week at any point throughout any week. Just record yourself and send that voice memo to us via email. That email address is samsanders at npr.org. All right. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Andrea Gutierrez, Sylvie Douglas and Liam McBain. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. All right. Listeners till next time. Be good to yourselves. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.
5: This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com slash NPR to get 10% off your first month.
4: Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can
0: happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday even
4: if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR.